it's an indisputable fact of church history. And I'm going to sprinkle in some church history here, so apologize if you're not into history too bad, because the church is history, and it is future, and it is present here today. I'm going to just go ahead and use the other mic here. I don't know what's going on. So many, uh, so many technical failures here. Baptism and the Lord's Supper have functioned as the primary marks of our Christian identity uh, throughout the history of the church. The idea of an unbaptized Christian is completely foreign to the Bible and the early church. Um, You will not find a New Testament or early church scholar, scholars who have studied the, the, the leaders of the early church following the book of Acts, who would suggest that the church made room for unbaptized Christians in their membership. Every example of conversion in the New Testament includes baptism. And so the burden of proof is on anybody who would admit an unbaptized believer as a member of the church. Um, Because the New Testament is full of the weight of baptized Saved and baptized membership. Well, technically, our church's constitution says we're not we're non-denominational, um, but we hold to Baptist theology um, and beliefs, and this is one of them. There are three things I want to talk to you this morning today about baptism. And the first is in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Matthew 28, verse 19. Some of these are going to be for very familiar to you if you've been well instructed, and many of you have. Some of these might be a little bit of a different shade. Or maybe, you haven't, maybe you haven't thought about it that way. Um, and some of these things might be, well, I've never thought about that. Um, regardless, I want you to have a full understanding of the importance of baptism. So we're going to look at it at uh, six, six different angles and, and imagine that it's, a, that it's a jewel that we're holding up and we are walking around it and we're looking in 360 degrees at this jewel of baptism here and what it pictures and what it means here so we better understand the gospel, we better understand our Christian life, um, and we better understand our relationship with the Lord Jesus and His church. So the first point I want to bring out here is that baptism is a public confession of the, tri- of the triune faith. A public confession of the triune faith. And I realize those words might, um, might uh, not be super clear. So I want to explain that here. Go to Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19. Jesus sent His disciples out to make disciples, and he tells them they're supposed to do it by as they are going, and as they are um, uh, declaring the word of God. And verse 19 says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. So, he says, as you are going to all the world, and by the way, we haven't gone to all the world yet, so we're still, we're still in process here, right? 
You are to uh, uh, teach the nations, make disciples of the nations, and then you are to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Now, when I said those three words, you say, oh yeah, I remember being at a baptism and hearing it said that um, uh, that individual, when they went under the water, they were being baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost. And, that's, and, 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 and to me that sounded like a, a very nice thing. But I want you to understand that when Jesus says that, be baptized in the name of the Father and Son of the Holy Spirit here, that that became the standard of the church from day one. In, the, in, the, uh, um, uh, in Antioch, the city of Antioch, um, in modern day Syria, between AD 50 and AD 70, baptism in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit was clearly prescribed in early church history documents outside of the Bible. And Antioch itself became a hub for missions to the Gentile world. About A.D. 150, okay, so this, is, this would be um, about 60, 50, 60 years after the last disciple, the last of the apostles, I should say, John, um, died and went off the scene. Justin Martyr, one of the early leaders of the church, described the church's practice of baptism and said this, as many as are persuaded and believe that the things <clears throat> we teach and say are true are then baptized in the name of God the Father and Master of all and of our Savior Jesus Christ and of the Holy Spirit. Now too often we, re- we, we take that as a formula. I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Right? It is so much more than that. It is more than a mere formula. Um, uh, in the descriptions of baptism that are available to us in the writings of the early church, <clears throat> they did not treat this as a mere formula. In fact, it seems that the practice in the early church was they would have a threefold confession about their belief in the Father, their belief in the Son, their belief in the Spirit, because they were asked three questions, and then... And this is something that's a little different from what we do today. And then they would be immersed three times to picture that. A little bit different than what we do today. Um, So they really took it literal, didn't they? Literally. But the basic outline of their conversation when they were being baptized was this. The one who would do the baptizing, the one who was giving the baptism, would say something like this. Do you believe in God the Father and Master of all who made all things? The one being baptized would respond, I believe. And then they would put him under once. <laughs> and then the baptizer would, would, would ask about the second part of our Christian faith. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, God made flesh, who was born of a virgin, crucified for your sins, rose again from the dead, and ascended to heaven where he will come again to judge the living and the dead? Sounds like sermons from the book of Acts, doesn't it? Or maybe some of you learn the Apostles' Creed. Um, then, the, then the baptized uh, one who would be baptized would respond, "I do," and he would be immersed again. And then, uh, thirdly, of course, he would say something to the effect of, "Do you believe in the Holy Spirit, who through the prophets foretold the things about Christ and gives new life?" And they would respond, "I do." And the third and final immersion was administered. So that I, I, I say all that not to say that we need to baptize him three times in that instant. Um, as, as they, but to say this, that they understood that being baptized in the name of the Father and the Son of the Spirit was a serious thing, uh, and, it, and, it, and it was a public confession of the, their faith and what makes Christianity very distinct, the Trinity. The Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and the Spirit. 
Um, and then you might say, well, what about in the book of Acts where they baptize and they say, in the name of Jesus? Or it's simply referred to as that. Well, I want you to understand, it's not that there are two competing forms here of baptism going around the first century. Those who are only baptized in the name of Jesus and those baptized in the name of the triune God. Rather, the wording of the confession varied from person to person and from place to place. But I would guarantee you that in the ceremony of baptism, that content would be pretty much the same. The God and Father who made all things... He sent His Son to die for sin, rise again and ascend to heaven until He is returned. And then thirdly, sending that same Holy Spirit who inspired the Scriptures to indwell the church until, he re- until Jesus returns again. So when Jesus, in Matthew 28, verse 19, tells His disciples to baptize in the name of the Father and Son of the Holy Spirit, what is, what is implied with the backdrop behind that was that people who came to Christ were instructed in the faith. They were instructed in the faith. This, um, this, this, this uh, eternal truth of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Now, so it's not like the person would become saved and they would be standing there dumbfounded in the water for the very first time hearing, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit and come out. That's not, that's not, that's not how it was. Um, so their confession of faith at baptism and what they believed uh, was their understanding of and belief in this triune faith that we have had delivered to us. Um, <clears throat> so they weren't wondering what the person baptizing them was talking about. They understood what they, what they believed. Now, they didn't understand all the implications of it. I'm sure that's what t- the teaching um, and discipleship is to continue to do, Right? And the farther away from the Jewish synagogue that the gospel reached, more and more instruction would be needed to be given to those who are pagan, uh, who are coming from uh, Greek practices, etc. Here, um, but those who were close to the synagogue uh, and knew some of the basis of Scripture would probably have needed less instruction. So more instruction would be needed the farther you got away from uh, the Old Testament Scriptures as a, as a founding here. So that's the very uh, first thing here, is that as the gospel would penetrate further and further, they understood that they were that that whoever was baptized needed to be understood that need to understand that they were being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, and what that meant. And as they got further and further uh, into the into the world, away from Jerusalem, away from the synagogues, they would give more and more instruction to that. In fact, you may say, "Well, how do we know they gave instruction about baptism?" Well, uh, Hebrews chapter six tells us that one of the basic things that they would tell them was the doctrine of baptism. In fact, look in Hebrews 6, verse 1 and 2. Here, the writer of Hebrews is saying, I'm, I'm having to teach you this again. This should be really, really basic to your faith. And I'm having to teach it to you again. You should now be already teachers, you teaching it to other people. He says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, And of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, and of laying on of hands, and of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. By the way, if you heard what I said, what they would generally um, give as a um, uh, confession of faith there, while they're being baptized, you might pick up some of the things that were mentioned uh, there. So, there was instruction involved 
uh, about what baptism is and, um, <clears throat> and who it was about and what that person had been delivered into. into. So, if we're going to baptize, that needs to be part of our instruction, part of our understanding here. However, that's not all it is. That's not all it is. The second thing I'd like you to see is from Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 4. Romans 6, 3 to 4. And I usually don't um, uh, preach topical sermons <clears throat> here, but I want to cover um, these, uh, these, these several pictures here. We're only going to do three here this morning. But Romans 6, verses 3 through 4. <clears throat> I think we need to understand this topic from a, a doctrinal uh, point of view. Romans 6, 3-4, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death? Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So, all the way from the earliest testimonies of baptism, the person receiving baptism would be fully immersed in the water. Now, in the Middle East, there's not a lot of water. And so if they didn't have a, 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 you know, a, a body of water they would go under, then they would try to bring in water and try to put the person in that water. If they didn't even have that, then um, they would pour water over them. Pour water over them. <clears throat> it's different than sprinkling, by the way. But the point of it is, is that the idea is immersion. In fact, the Greek word here that is translated English, baptize, is really the Greek word baptizo. It means immerse. But the full immersion is a picture of the believer and their association, their connection, their union with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Romans 6, 3-4 through 4 draws this out very clearly. Very clearly. Those verses that we just read. In Colossians 2.12, Paul says to the believers, You have been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. So in the second part of baptism, baptism is personally associating with Christ's death and His resurrection. So if the first part there we looked at was um, the faith in the triune God that we have, all right? So, God the Father planned salvation. He sent His Son to save us. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes us come alive uh, and gives us new life in His church, etc. Here, Now the focus narrows down to the specific work of Christ. And so the baptism represents the specific work of Christ. Redemption through the death and resurrection of Jesus. So, in this way, and this is probably... Everything that all of us, or most of us, understand baptism to be, uh, uh, becomes a, 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 a confession of your faith without words. I understand that I said they would confess their faith, but the actual process of going under and coming up, it's like an object lesson, a confession of faith, our personal association with the death and resurrection of Jesus on our behalf. And the basic events of the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, 1-5, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. So this wasn't something that just burst on the scene. This is God's plan all along. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was raised three days later. Right? So Christ's death for sin and his resurrection from the dead is played out in baptism. 
And so as you, the one who is baptized, participates in that, in this act of confession, the act of proclaiming here, baptism becomes some, is now becomes something that is very personal. Very personal. You are the individual who is being united to the, the Lord Jesus. So you're confessing your personal faith in the saving gospel. When you go under the water and come out, you are confessing that you are telling the world that in the, in the, in the, in the church on the shore there that Christ's death paid for your sins. That His resurrection promises that you will have a future resurrection from the dead. And so this is a, this is a very personal thing. It's also a humbling thing, isn't it? Because, I mean, who likes to go into the water and come out in front of everybody, right? It's a humiliating, it's a, it's, a, it's a humbling thing. It's a very tangible thing, obviously. You come out shivering a little bit, in Maine anyway. But it is a very meaningful act uh, because it is an outward sign of what you are convicted about and what you have committed to. So, what you are saying is, Yes, I believe that Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead. But you're, you're not just saying, I believe that Jesus died for sins and rose from the dead. You're saying, I believe Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead. So it was a personal association with Christ's, Christ's death and resurrection. Um, so, that leads us to the third one. The final one we'll get to uh, for today. And it is, it is this. <clears throat> that baptism is a public repentance from a life of sin. It's a public repentance from a life of sin. When you call on the name of the Lord Jesus and you turn um, from your way of sin to the way of life, you turn from a, 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 your old man, by, by God's grace, you turn from your old man to the new man in Christ, um, what you are doing now in baptism is letting the world know that that wasn't just a private thing. You're letting the world know, I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. So baptism is a picture of your repentance from a life of sin. That's really what it was when John the Baptist baptized. In Mark chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, John appears on the scene. He's baptized in the wilderness and he's proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And everybody who comes to see him and is baptized in there confesses their sins. And that Greek word for forgiveness in Mark 1, verses 4 and 5 here is a word that means a release, a release. And the idea here is a release from the life of sin. Alright? And so, when they would come and be baptized in John's day, John the Baptist's day, he would then tell them, okay, and now you bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In keeping with repentance. Don't just say and just don't do the act, but now you live out a life here of fruit, keeping with repentance. You can see that here in Luke 3.8. And also Acts 26 and verse 20, Paul talks about it here um, after um, John the Baptist in the new, the new covenant here. <clears throat> but the point of it is this, that um, uh, Jesus makes it clear that repentance, 
baptism and the release from the life of sin were meant to continue on in the lives of His people and in the proclamation of the church. How do we know this? Go with me to Luke chapter 24, please. Luke chapter 24 and verse 47. This is the resurrected Jesus. And here is what He says in Luke 24. Just like Matthew records Jesus' last words, or some of His last words, Luke also records some other parts of Jesus' last words. And Luke 24 and verse 47. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Now, that matches up with what Jesus said in Matthew 28.18. Go therefore and make disciples or teach all nations, baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Um, baptism is the mark of repentance from a life of sin. So, when our salvation has released us from slavery to sin, we are released from bondage, and baptism is a picture of that. I showed you in, in um, Hebrews chapter 6 uh, and verse 1 and also 3 and 6 uh, uh, about baptism but, uh, earlier here and part of their instruction. But the references to repentance and being once enlightened in Hebrews 6 verse 1, 3 and 6 is the idea of, of, uh, of turning from sin to righteousness, being illuminated, being transferred, as Paul says in Colossians, from the domain, the kingdom of darkness, to the kingdom of light. And so when, when Peter in Acts chapter 2 and the day of Pentecost says, Repent! He can then say, And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of your sins. Alright? Repent. A change of thinking, right? Repent. Baptism, the, one of the very first fruits, the acts of repentance, the act of obedience, identifying, associating with Jesus, you're immersed in the new faith. And so what this means is this. <clears throat> when a believer is baptized, they are not just simply confessing their personal faith in the triune God, though they are doing that. They are not just personally associating with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and saying, this is mine, although they are doing that. They are also publicly testifying to a release because of the power of Jesus from a life of sin. It does not mean they will never sin again. But sin is not their master. They are not in bondage to that sin. Jesus is the new master. And so baptism is, you'll see reference in Scripture, described as washing away sin. Well, why did Paul talk, or and Peter and the apostles talk about baptism washing away sin? Obviously, and Peter makes this clear in 1 Peter 3, the water does not wash away any sin. It's water, right? You can drink it, you can slap it, you put it in Maine and it comes hard. Um, it's, it's water. But what it is a picture of is the washing away of sin, the old life. You understand when we talk about Jesus washing our sins away, what we're really saying is Jesus washing our old life, our old life away down the drain, making us new. And the blood of Jesus 
spiritually and visibly pardons cleansed sinners. Baptism is a public display of that. Our lives were marked, our identity was fallen, we are characterized by sin. Jesus saved us. We are not characterized by sin. If you have a new relationship with Jesus, hear this, you have a new relationship with sin. You cannot have a new relationship with Jesus and not have a new relationship with sin. What I mean by that is not that you will never sin again, but you're operating now um, uh, out of a whole new system, a whole new operating system. Computer geeks. A whole new engine for car people. I don't know. I'm sorry, ladies. I'm not not thinking of a good connection for you here. Um, But you get it, I hope. Right? You get it? Um, It is, it is, you have a new relationship with sin. Sin does not stand over you anymore, in other words. Jesus stands over you. And because of His victorious life and death, you can stand with Jesus over your sin. Yes, you will be tempted. You probably will give in to some of those temptations. But you never have to. You have a new relationship with Jesus. And you have the power to say no to it that you never had before from the heart. And you also have the fellowship with God restored through Jesus upon confession. Important to understand. So, I say a lot that to say this, that the act of baptism publicly, visibly shows that the believer has transitioned by God's grace out of a life that has been characterized by sin and bondage. You say, well, I'm not that bad a person, or I wasn't that bad a person before I was saved. Yes, you were. Ephesians 2, 1-10 through 10 says we all were, whether it was obviously displayed or not. Our hearts were very corrupt. And we would do wrong th- right things even for the wrong reasons. And our self-righteousness is just as wicked as the prodigal son who goes off and spends his father's inheritance. And so that's why in 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11, through 11, <clears throat> Paul talks about those who are fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, uh, homosexuals, uh, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, swindles. He says they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. So these believers in Corinth, they had once very obviously lived lives that were characterized by sinfulness, but they had been washed in the forgiveness of Jesus' blood. Their old life was washed away. They have been set apart, they have been declared righteous, and baptism is a picture of all of that. And it's interesting that Paul then goes on to say in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. Father, Son, and Spirit. So we are spiritually and invisibly and when I say invisibly no one's ever seen Jesus' blood applied to you, right? It's a spiritual truth. We have uh, invisibly been forgiven of their sin and guilt. We have been justified before God through faith alone, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. But this is manifested 
in baptism. It's shown to the world. Shown to the world. One more text with the same point here of baptism being public and repenting of sin. First Peter chapter three. First Peter chapter three. And verse eighteen through twenty two. For Christ, for the Messiah, also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, physically, Jesus physically died, but made alive or quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Which sometimes were diso- which at one time were disobedient, when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by fire. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who is gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. So Peter says that baptism now saves you. And some have taken this to mean that the act of water baptism itself somehow applies saving grace to the individual. So without baptism, a person cannot be eternally saved. But Peter here is saying this, that baptism is like the flood. In Noah's day, okay? Noah constructed an ark and he says there's eight persons who are brought safely to the water and he says, in that like banner or corresponding to that water, baptism now saves you. So what he's he's saying is this. The picture of Noah going through the flood and coming out alive, okay, through the waters of the flood. Waters of baptism also picture the saving that we have in Christ. They might say, well, how did the waters of the flood save Noah? Well, in 2 Peter 3.6, Peter says that the sinful world stood under the just condemnation of God and it was destroyed. The fallen, broken world was destroyed under that flood, was flooded with water, and Noah and his family, to follow the picture here, this, this is from 2 Peter 3.6. Follow the picture here. Noah and his family were then put on new ground, all right, almost like a new fresh world, right? Washed clean of sinfulness. Of course, the sinfulness was in their hearts, so the, the change started again, right? But he's saying, based on that very picture here, Peter's saying that the believer, we enter the water, physical water here in baptism. We're talking about the, 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 the ceremony of baptism. We enter the water as a citizen of the old world. We go into the water, just like Noah's family in the ark, in the water. We go into the water as a citizen of the old world. A world of sinfulness, darkness, and destruction to which we have personally contributed. We're not innocent of of this world of, of sin. And when we go under... We come out alive as citizens of a new world, a word of righteousness, light, and sin. 
And so in Peter's image here, his picture of water baptism, Peter is saying that baptism saves a person from a lifestyle of sin because baptism marks the moment of that person's commitment. All right? Um, he's not saying that baptism saves you, but it is a picture to the world here. This is my mark here. I am in Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has passed away, the new has come. So, 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 baptism here is a picture, excuse, baptism is a picture of just as Noah was a picture of going through the flood and coming out with Jesus, Jesus rescue here, alright? Jesus rescued Noah and the eight souls saved by water. Baptism pictures as well. Um, we have gone through the life that is under judgment. We are all held accountable to that judgment. We come out through the, through the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. We are, uh, we, we picture the life saving work of Jesus. You say, well, how's that different from um, Romans chapter 6? Well, the, the, the picture is this. As we rise again, we are facing a new direction. You're not facing the direction that we had before here of, of, the, um, of the life as an old citizen of the world, but we are facing a new direction of a life that is a citizen of the new heaven and the new earth. Our citizenship in heaven. And so baptism is really our pledge to live a sanctified life. It's not just a ceremony that we do. It's not just something that you do once you get saved because you do it. It's not just a formula. It is a shouting rising victorious and saying, this is what Jesus has done inside of me. I want you all to know that. And I am united to you and you and you and you because I'm united to Jesus. I've been brought in the family of God. I've been brought to the, to the, um, to the, to the, to the nearness of the Father through Jesus who brings us as, only one way to the Father, as the only one way to the Father. And I am brought into the Trinity I'm brought in the fellowship of the Trinity. If you want to dig down deeper in that, you can read Ephesians 1 and see how deeply we're rooted in the triune God now through the Gospel. So this is the first three parts of what baptism pictures here. And which is why we don't just take baptism lightly. And it's why we let people understand and know what it stands for. I've decided to follow Jesus. Jesus.